Hello and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning, Jubilee Church. I'm so happy to be here. We're glad you're here, too. Well, when you're my age, you're happy to be anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I've just come to the city location. We had a good time there. People were jumping around, shouting, running around the building, and going crazy. So I have high expectations of you. No pressure, just high expectations. Raising my children, uh, I, I did some things to their frustration, uh, not intentionally, but it's the way it works sometimes. Uh, that when they would do something not wise and hurt themselves, basically being stupid, <laughs> I would often say to them, why did you do that? of which there was no real answer as to why they would do that. Uh, So most of the time the answer would be, uh, I don't know, Uh, I don't know. Uh, But we do stupid things sometimes, and we bring hurt to ourselves. Isn't that right? I want to take a little poll here. How many of you have done stupid things? I'm talking to the right people. (laughs) How many have done something stupid this week? Come on, ladies, quit pointing at your husbands now. <laughs> uh, as a young boy, I usually would succumb to the dares of my friends, much to my harm. Uh, but they knew that if they would dare me, and if they did a double dog dare, I'm bound to try it and do it. I would do stupid things. And uh, why never entered my thoughts? It was I was dared to do it, so I did it. And I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, and I like to say I've probably quit doing them, but not, I might, I just have a short memory. That's helpful sometimes. <laughs> Remember when my dad bought, for us was a new car, it's probably 15 or 20 years old, because we didn't have much money back then, the family car. He bought an Oldsmobile. My brother had a driver's license, and I like to egg him on, and I said to my brother, let's see how fast this thing can go. <laughs> and... Uh, so we knew a big, steep hill, and if we were going to get top speed out of that thing, we'd get to the top of that hill and floorboard it all the way to the bottom, just to see how fast we could get her going. Way we went. Somewhere in that process, the motor blew up. I guess it over-revved or something. I don't know what. It's our family car. And uh, I don't remember what my father said, but I'm sure... He didn't just smile and say, oh, that's all right, boys. It was stupid. I've done some stupid things. I remember my first car was a hand-me-down, and you wouldn't even know what this is. It's a 1949 Studebaker Champion. Is there anyone in the room ever heard of a car like that? Yeah. Uh, Most of us that are of a mature age, uh, no one else. But there was a car manufacturing company called Studebaker, and the Studebaker Champion was as fast as a herd of turtles. But as a kid, you always try to get as much speed out of it as you possibly could. 
and I did find that I could get to the top of a hill, windy road by a lake, and uh, gain, take corners in kind of a nice fashion, you know. And I happened to have a young lady with me that I wanted to impress, so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do my thing down the road there, you know, and squeal around and show her how well I can drive. Unbeknownst to me, they had oiled that part of the road and put pea gravel down to seal it. And so when I hit that big curve where I was going to show her how wonderful I was, the car decided to somehow not remain intact on the road and begin to do the spinny things. And she said words I can't say in the church. But then the, the car shot backwards across the road and down through the trees toward the lake. Uh, my rest in peace, Duty Baker. My... One chance to have a car was gone at that point. And I suppose you could say, why did you do that? But that's exactly the theme of the Galatian letter, the whole thing. It's like Paul's writing to the Galatian church, and I guess if you wanted to title this book of Galatians, it would be, why are you doing this? Why? Basically, Nicely, it's stupid. Why are you doing this? Because why are they throwing over the gospel of grace, which is this? You, when you become a believer in Jesus, are fully accepted by God and adopted in his family without any merit of your own by his unconditional love and amazing favor on your behalf. He has chosen you and pulled you into his family and given unto you the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's a pretty good deal, don't you think? And he, he did that for the Galatians, and now, somehow, they're wanting to jettison that and go to performance or works to try to gain a favor that, from God that they already have. It's silly. Freedom, freedom in Jesus. Freedom that Jesus gave us. It, this is what it is. It's a freedom from guilt and condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's liberating, isn't it? There is freedom from uncertainty as to our eternal future. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I know that probably I'm closer to it than I was 70 years ago or however many years ago. But this is what I do know. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> I love it. Freedom to be what God has created us to be. He gives us freedom from futility. Freedom to enter into his presence with intimacy and worship him. Now, here's, here's what a performance mindset will do for you. Like, okay, if this is what it means to be a good person, to be a good Christian, I, have to, I need to do these things, right? So it's like, okay, I need to pray every day. I need to read a chapter a day to keep the devil away. I need to... Give at least 10% of my money to, to the Lord. I need to do all these things. And, uh, but then when I fail, 
when I have all these extra rules of what I think God would approve of, the rules, when I fail in those things, I am unable to worship. How do you approach a holy God when you feel your own unholiness? There's a block there. But you see, when I've accepted this idea of God's grace, unconditional love, no condemnation at all, not based upon uh, works to gain his favor, but based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, I am allowed to have intimacy at that point. Don't you see? It builds for a relationship. Whew, I can approach him freely. It's, it's, like, it's like a little kid. Hey, daddy's home and come runs in and jumps on his lap. That's the way it is. No condemnation, freedom. And therefore, I can raise my hands and praise him and love him and know he will love me back. I didn't earn that. Freedom from worry about the future. One of the many things, many things I love about my wife is her faith and uh, freedom from worry about the future. So sometimes, you know, especially in this day and age with the economy and all that stuff, we worry about the future. And she'll say to me, she says, well, John, God's always taking care of us, and he's going to take care of us. And she doesn't have any worry. She doesn't. And then when I begin to process over and over again about some future thing, future decision, She'll say to me, well, John, we'll know when we get there, and we'll know when we need to know. How do you deal with a woman like that? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's what he's come to bring us, freedom from worry about the future, freedom from the fear and failure that paralyzes us and all that. For a life of failure, he gives us success because he just loves us. Falling short, attempting to please God with your rules and with what you think is a standard of what it means to be a Christian that God would be happy with, all it does is it it makes you fail miserably and you know you fall short. Everyone in this room know what it is to have a standard of behavior that you fall short of. And you just begin to condemn yourself. Feel like you can't really approach God. Hopelessness or regret or anxiety of not being good enough, not measuring up and falling short. Well, in Galatians 4, 8 through 11, this is where the Galatian church was. They were choosing works and their performance. Moralism, I guess you could say. Any of those to gain favor with God, they were choosing that over the grace of God that they had previously received. This favor that was a free gift of God in their life. The Bible makes it clear to us that if you're tired of hearing the word legalism, hear it again. The Bible makes it clear that the gospel's premier enemy is legalism and or performance moralism, that sort of thing. And we see it everywhere. Legalism happens when, uh, when what we need to do preempts what Jesus already did. It's just going to happen. So it says, formerly, in verses 8 and 9, when you did not know God, you were enslaved and by nature 
to nature of those who are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the word world whose slaves you want to be once more? You see, a relationship is not earned, but through God opening your eyes of faith and through his grace, God grants us a relationship. Here's an interesting thing. Most of you in this room have already made a decision. You've, you've committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus. But if you could go back and remember the day you did that, it's like, you'd all describe it in different ways. But it'd be like, for me, it was like a weight rolled off my shoulders. A weight I didn't even know I was carrying. It's like, I felt free. I suddenly had peace. It's like, I don't think I walked out of that church building. I think I floated out or something. I have no recollection of my feet hitting the floor. I mean, it felt like that to me. It was just, that might not have been your experience. It was my experience. It's like, wow, my sins were rolled away. I had been forgiven. Now, I couldn't do that on my own. Did you know you're not even capable of believing unless God gives you the gift of faith in that moment? He not only made me aware that I needed him, I needed a Savior. He gave me the faith to believe that he was the way to go. So I believed by his favor, his grace, through faith. I, I was saved. He opened up my eyes. He took the initiative. He sought me out and revealed his forgiveness and grace on my behalf. Sometimes I hear people talk about the moment that they became a follower of Jesus, and some people will say, I'll never forget the day I found the Lord. He wasn't the one who was lost. He found you. He initiated it. Having experienced that, Paul is saying to the Galatians, what are you thinking about? Don't turn back to performance with your attempts to demonstrate how good of a Christian you are. You see, the Judaizers had come to Galatia, and they had found these believers who had received Jesus walking in freedom and in his grace, and they're saying, oh, that's wonderful. We're really happy for you, but let me teach you uh, about some extra things that you haven't downloaded yet. So these were Gentiles. They weren't even Jews. And they embraced the Judaizers, saddling them with Jewish rituals and rules. And so this is, you need to observe the Sabbath. You need to do these things. You need to, and then the other thing, which all men rejoiced in, and be circumcised. <laughs> Can you believe they embraced that? As opposed to the freedom and liberty of the grace of God, they embraced, okay, if we're going to walk, okay, we need to add these things. Okay, we hear it. And, 
And, and Paul later reminds them, you know, all the Judaizers are doing out of their ego is trying to gain a following for themselves. And they're trying to get you to look to them instead of look to Jesus. That's what's happening. Having experienced the grace of God, it's just absolutely incomprehensible that you would turn back the clock to where you started from before you found Jesus, Jesus found you, and that is the performance with attempts to demonstrate that you're a good Christian and, and deserving of his favor. And so he's saying, why are you doing this? Same kind of question I ask my kids. Why are you doing this? The minute you add anything to Jesus, a Jesus plus your works, grace ceases to be grace and a false gospel takes his place. And so Paul's wondering, have I labored over you in vain? You can feel the pain in his heart. I mean, he loves these people, actually. I mean, all this time he's, he's debating with them and uh, talking about the decisions they've made, but he, he loves them. Why have you attempted to add to the gospel of grace that you must perform certain works somehow to be accepted by God? You know what it's like. How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand, but how many in this room have said to yourself, I failed miserably, I didn't do well, I'm going to try harder. Maybe there's been a besetting sin in your life. And you say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do, ever do that again. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to try harder. Muster up the self-will, do it again. And guess what you do? You do it again. And you're never really able to break free from that. It's like slavery. It's a performance-driven approach by which you are powerless at times. And if, you, and if you do somehow restrain yourself, then you have another danger or pitfall, and then that's pride. By which you say, well, if I did it, you can do it. That sort of thing. Now, two things this kind of performance legalism thing breeds. First of all, it breeds entitlement. Let me tell you a story in the Bible. Many of you will know it. It's a story about the prodigal son. And so the, the youngest of the brothers, his two brothers, went to his dad and said, Dad, now I know when you die, I'm going to get an inheritance. But you know, I got worlds to conquer, things to do, and I need to get a start on life. And so I'd just like for you to cut out my share right now before you die, which was really an insult. And he, and he got that inheritance, and he went off, and he, he wasted it all in riotous living. He had all kinds of friends as long as he was buying drinks for everyone in the bar. But now when he ran out of money, <laughs> friends disappeared. And he was out of money. He ended up working in a hog lot. And he got to thinking to himself, you know, my father's servants live better than this. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to Dad, and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to confess everything. Dad, I sinned. I did wrong. I did all these things. He says, please, just hire me on as one of your servants. Lowest on the totem pole. I don't deserve anything. Just let me do that. And the Bible says his dad saw him coming from afar off, and he ran to him, and he hugged him. And he says, bring the best robe. And he put the robe around him. And he took the family ring and put it on his finger as an acknowledgement, you are in the family. You're my son. <laughs> you're not a servant. You're, you're my son. And then he, he made an announcement. It's time for a hootenanny, you know, a real shindig. 
kill a fatted calf. We're going to have a party because this my son was lost and he's been found. Now, here's the older brother. What this is, what you just saw there, that is grace. God's unconditional love and forgiveness on our behalf. Not deserved at all. Just granted to us. Now, on the other side of it is the older son. And he comes to his dad and he says, Dad, these many years I've served you and I had never disobeyed you. Never. You never give me a young goat that I could have a hootenanny with my friends. But this son of yours, this, this kid here, has devoured your property with prostitutes and you throw a party and kill a fatted calf for him. Now let me tell you what's wrong with this. The older brother who did everything right, who obeyed the rules, felt entitled from his father. Entitlement. It's like, okay, you become a Christian, so you, you go to church. You show up. You're here on time. You stay. You serve. You work in J-Kids. You're working the door. You're cleaning the building or whatever. You do all this stuff. Not only that, you're given 10% of your income when it comes time for the offering for celebration to help your neighbors and friends. You give extra for that. And when it comes time for benevolence offering in December, you give to that. And you do all these things. How wonderful you are. Now, here's what happens to you. You go to work and you get a pink slip and you're fired. You get in your car, you start driving home, and the transmission goes out. Finally, when you do get home, your wife says, the plumbing blew up and the whole basement is flooded. And then you say, God, all this time I've served you. I gave 10%, I gave extra. I served in the church. I did all these things. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why didn't you show up? And you know what that reveals about you? That you have moved from grace to performance and, and you are entitled to certain kind of treatment from God. Why did God allow that to happen then? He allowed it to happen in his mercy to demonstrate to you that you had moved from grace to works. And you wouldn't have known it otherwise. It was the kindness and mercy of God that brought you to that place. Every one of us have been there. Every one of us has said, God, you didn't show up. And I don't know why this all happened. We've been there. Well, it's a false gospel. You got to get that. And when that's revealed to you, it's time to, to come rushing back into the unconditional loving arms of our Lord and know that you don't deserve anything. The fact is, you got enough just by his kindness and love on your behalf. The other thing that this performance mindset breeds besides entitlement is pride. Performance leads to pride. You know what? When you succeed, you're on top of the mountain and 
You're like this, you know. That's pride. But despair when you fail. Now, pride is when you, you're keeping the rules and people are, ju- are, are praising you. And then you tell, you tell someone, say, now, David, if I can do it, you can do it. Got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, boy. You can do it. Now, what is that? So maybe what I've done and seem to be able to accomplish myself, I throw that expectation onto him, and it's pride. And pride leads to criticism and judgmentalism of those who somehow are not meeting the standard you've set that you feel that you are able to accomplish. And people outside the church see that. You know what? A lot of people outside of Christianity look at Christians this way. Christianity is all about rules. It's all, all about being good. You know, and if I got good enough, then I'd probably come to church. It's about rules. It's about, and people reject that. It's about people have an image that Christians are, are judgmental. And some have been, haven't they? And self-righteous. And they're condemning. Not only that, if you talk to the man on the street, he would say, all oh, Christians are hypocrites. Now, where is he getting that from? He's getting it from the fact that here's someone that stood up and criticized a certain behavior and ended up committing that same sin himself. And so, they're hypocrites. It mustn't be with us. It mustn't be for you or in Jubilee Church. A pride in our accomplishments. Because you know what that means? It means that your salvation is coming from another source, which is no salvation at all. It is. It's, I'm a self-made man. It's, it's being self-focused rather than Christ-focused. It's easy for us to fall into that trap. You, you see that? You can become so focused on your behavior. You become self, more self-focused than you are Christ-focused. Because we have an intense desire to look good and get the praise of others. Grace has, has the power to come and overcome the natural disposition to pride and bringing us to this place where we no longer boast in anything good we do, but all to the praise and glory of Jesus. Right? I hope you're getting this. Now, beginning with verse 12, he makes a transition from this uh, uh, apologetic of the gospel of grace to a friend, kind of a gentle appeal. It's a, it's a painful book, really, because you see the heart of Paul loving. He's laid down his life for these people, and he sees them moving away from the gospel, and he knows that's a dead-end street. And so he says, brothers, brothers, I entreat you, please, I entreat you, become as I am. He's reflecting on his life before Jesus. He doesn't want him to go there. He was a man of the law. He had been indoctrinated into the law, and there's no life in it. But, but he was arrested that day by the presence of God on the Damascus Road, and Jesus came and made himself real, and he experienced the favor and the grace of God through faith. You know, uh, I was raised in a very 
conservative and legalistic religious environment. So my grandfather's church, I used to go on Sunday mornings to help my grandfather get things all ready for the Sunday meeting. My grandfather, he's in heaven now and he knows better, okay? He, he won't be mad at me for saying this. Well, my, my grandfather was legalistic and kind of like one of those fire and brimstone kind of guys, preachers, you know, and it's like he was so good at it that like you could smell the sulfur and feel the flames. You know, he just... <laughs> And he had all these rules and regulations of how Christians should live apart from the world. And, and uh, it's like even, even going to a movie. If you went to a movie, God sees that. And if Jesus were to come back right now, he'd leave you sitting there. You'd, you're just done for. And, and then he'd have uh, itinerant preachers come and preach something called an evangelistic revival meeting. You may never have heard of those. But that's where a guy was very articulate, and he could just, like, scare the stuff right out of you. I'm just telling you. And they'd preach, and they'd point the finger about you weren't keeping the rules and, and things like that. And, and, and God sees you. Holy God sees you. He sees what you did. Yesterday, he saw what you did. He knows your thoughts, your wicked, immoral thoughts. And that's, and so my concept of God was uh, this all-seeing eye of God, you know, kind of floating around looking at me. And if, if I did something wrong, I'm going to pay the price. And then the guy would say, let me tell you what happened. There are three teenagers, and when the gospel call was given, they wouldn't commit their life to Jesus. And they went out, and they got in their car. They went down the road, went across the tracks of the Union Pacific, and a train hit them, and they went out into eternity without Jesus. See, I know how to do that. <laughs> I never had a picture of a loving God, but kind of a vindictive God, a holiness that he had that I could never attain to. It's the law, you see. It's, it's death and it's bondage. And I worked hard to gain God's favor and tried to do, obey the rules. And I failed. And the result was I got saved at every meeting when the itinerant preacher come. <laughs> I've been saved hundreds of times, I can just tell you. Just keep hoping it would stick one day, you know. But listen to me. Oh, happy day, the gospel of grace. I understood suddenly. I began to understand the gospel of grace through faith. I was set free from performance. I was set free from legalism. And I was set free to run into God the Father's arms like a child runs into the arms of a loving daddy without fear and, and understanding his favor and his joy in my presence, worshiping him intimately. Whew, why would you jettison that and go back to that other stuff? I don't want that. I don't want it for this church. Jubilee Church was started 25 years ago on a foundation of the very thing I'm talking about, grace, God's favor, unconditional love. We must never, and I don't believe we will, move from that. Whew. Well, 
I got a little emotional there. Galatians, why are you doing this? Why are you downloading these Jewish rituals and rules? You didn't do me any wrong. I came to you. I had a bodily ailment. It was repulsive, but you loved me because of the gospel I brought, a grace that set you free. He said, do you remember those days? Remember the joy that you had that you no longer seem to have? Remember that? Now you're walking in entitlement. You're walking in pride and have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. You receive me as an angel of God himself. You see, he's pleading with him and speaking the truth to them. Listen. All the things that you need, you need pardon from your sins. You need to know God approves of you. You need purpose that has significance. You need freedom and meaning. And you need righteousness. And you need cleansing. And you need significance. And you need worth. And you need affection. You already have it in Jesus. (laughs) You already got it. You already have it. You can't earn it. It's been given to you. You don't need to add anything to it. Because the operative power of God that that saved you in the first place is the same operative power that keeps you. It's the unconditional, unqualified, undeserved, unrestrained grace of God in the completed work of Jesus. I have good news for you. If you've committed your life to Jesus and embraced God's unconditional love for you, You are in forever. You will always be God's child. Three words. It is finished. (laughs) You don't need to add anything to it. He finished it once and for all. Well, how should you respond to this? Have you started with Jesus and moved over to performance? It's real easy to do that. Have you, and if you've done that, why don't you turn from that today? There'll be people up here to pray for you. And some of you might need to say, hey, I want to I acknowledge I've moved there. And I, wanna, I want you to pray that the joy of my salvation will be restored to me instead of this burden of performance. People will pray for you. You'll be set free. you leave this place. Maybe floating out of here. I don't know. <laughs> Have you, have you been one of those persons that were disappointed with God because you felt entitled, because you tried to do the right thing, and, and, and these things happened to you, and you're disappointed that God didn't show up? And you, well, you know what? You need to repent from that. People will pray for you, because you ought to be set free from that entitlement thing. I don't deserve it. I, I used to make a joke about this for years some of the people who know me I say I'm just a nickel in God's pocket and he can spend me however he wants to I may have overvalued myself a bit but anyway (laughs) but if you felt entitlement and disappointed with God why don't you get rid of that today or maybe you've succumbed to pride and you just find yourself complaining and being critical of others it's one way you know you've got pride just you need prayer Make sure your faith in Jesus is Jesus' grace.
you are righteous with Jesus' righteousness. Well, this is nothing better than this. You're adopted into his family forever. Freedom, joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen.